if you really want a good picture of God, if you really want a good picture of what he wants out of you, you've got to, you've got to look at it all and, and let the pieces fit together. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today, we've got Karen. Mm-hmm. We've got Eric. Good morning. And Tracy will not be with us. He is... Uh, I'm reluctant to say too much here, but I will say that he is... He's hes recovering from surgery. He could use your prayers, folks, if you're hearing this. I don't care when you're hearing it. Pray for Tracy. Just give him some... Just give him some... Uh, uh, a, a, a little lift up there because he could he could use it and uh, when he comes back if he's if he's willing to talk about it we'll talk about it um just uh but just so you know that tracy's we're, we're hoping he'll be back soon because uh, he's just not feeling great uh anyway uh in the meantime um i'm on my third bag of candy corn for the year <laughs> Which is actually, I'm actually going slow this year. <laughs> I, uh, I, fall hits, and for some reason, I get the stupidest craving for candy corn. And I know, I know, some people cannot stand the stuff, but once I open a bag, if it's open next to me, it's just one after the other after the other. <laughs> and you can't just pop. You can't just pop one in your say, mouth. Yeah, I was gonna say, don't you hate it when your candy corn sits out so long it gets hard and you break your teeth? But no, apparently you don't hate that. Well, it doesn't last that long. Right. <laughs> it does, it doesn't stay that long. But there's only there's two, there, there there there's you, there's a way you have to eat candy corn, and you cannot just put a whole candy corn in your mouth unless you have peanuts. If you have peanuts, then it can go in in like in a handful, and and then that's like ultimate gluttony. But if you're eating a bag of candy corn, you have to eat it one color at a time you have to bite off the little white tip and then the orange and then the yellow obviously why do you have to explain this well i i don't know some people you know my wife tried to say you eat it the other way around and i thought that was madness no no this is one of the rules of the universe it's innate (laughs) it's sheer insanity to eat candy corn in any other way (laughs) it's a sign of communism i'm sure of it i think (laughs) communism <laughs> but yeah, it is. It's funny because I, 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 I don't know why. Maybe it's just because it's there, you know. And and I started eating it because I and then uh, I'll eat it right up through October, and then after Halloween, even though we don't really do Halloween here in our house, I we we do pass out candy just because we enjoy seeing the kids and stuff. But after Halloween, it's like meh. It, I might eat it through Thanksgiving, and then I'm done. I just, I yeah. just like, nope, I don't want it anymore. I'm, I'm absolutely candy corned out by then. And then I turned to candy canes for a month. But you know, um, <laughs> so anyway. Uh, but yeah, this is actually, I'm actually going slow this year. I've had, man, I've had, I've had some serious candy corn binges over the years, and uh, this year's not too different, just a little slower. And on. That completely, uh, that note completely unrelated to anything. <laughs> What's that? Is it irrelevant? Yeah, completely irrelevant to anything we're going to talk about today. Uh, we're going to be talking today about Isaiah chapters 28 through 32. Uh, now, we had stepped away from Isaiah for a bit. We had talked about, uh, oh, let's see, we just finished talking about Hosea over the last couple of episodes. And Isaiah 
Well, the very first part of Isaiah here that we're going to talk about, the title is Woe to Ephraim in Jerusalem. It's been very interesting to me over the time that we've been reading. I mean, ever since, oh gosh, I was going to say since we started Isaiah, but see, been before that. I mean, the the sheer number of times, the, the constant warnings, actually, that God has given to his people, asking them to come back, uh, warning them not to follow the ways of, of uh, of the others of uh, of their you know their pagan ways and and um just how 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 much he warns them before. it's not just following though it's not just following those ways those it's actively seeking them out it's craving them it's lying to themselves and to others in order to justify going and getting them like it's bad mm-hmm yeah, it's really bad. And yeah, like you say, they're not just it's not just sort of following along. It's 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 uh like, it's like becoming beacons yeah, for it. It's like it's like it's well the, the summary verse that comes to mind from this week's reading was you trust in Egypt because they have many horses. Like that was the land of their slavery. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Looking in the wrong place for the wrong sources of security and then feeling secure. It's like no. Yeah. Yeah. So then as it starts out, it's woe to Ephraim and Jerusalem. This isn't just, this doesn't just the, the, the parts of Israel that kind of strayed away from Judah. Uh, this is everybody. This is all these people that God lifted up from Egypt, you know, and, and he has been their guide. He's been their, he was their deliverer. And, and now he's telling all of them, you guys are all screwing up. You're all, you're all needing some correction here. Uh, none of you, none of you are really better than the others. I mean, maybe Judah is slightly, slight, uh, slightly, but, um, but overall, no, this is, this is for, this is for everybody. He talks about woe to the crown of pride. That's the, that's verse one, the crown of pride, pride, man, that is a pride is probably, I don't know. That might be one of the worst things you could ever really have. And it's, and we're not talking about oh I'm proud of my kids because they do well in school. I mean we're t- and I'm not you know we're not like talking about self. Uh, what am I thinking of? A little self confidence here. We're talking more about dependence, reliance. Not nah, that's the wrong word. Like where do you where do you put your ultimate beliefs? Where do you look mm-hmm. for solutions when things are tough or when things aren't tough? Like where's your focus? What are you worshiping? Yeah. Yeah. And then the counter to this, then in verse five, talks about the Lord of hosts as a crown of glory. This is this is where things should be. Uh, this is where we you know we should be looking to God, not to our own understandings, not to our own achievements, and having pride in those things. But if we could take more pride in the fact that God is our God, placing our dependence there looking there for our protection, our redemption, for our sustenance. It, it seems to me like this is this is God talking about how if we would just keep our minds in the right place, if we would just keep our desires in the right place, which is him, then all these things would go so much better for us. I think one of the things to to note is that um verses 1 through 4 is 
destruction and um, um, punishment. And seven and eight are also um, pretty vivid pictures of of uh, their destruction coming. And in the middle of that destruction is God who hasn't changed. He's still there um, because I think it would be easy to to get depressed and think, oh, man, what's you know, this is God's abandoned us. He's he's gone away. And I think the placement of this in the middle of all this destruction is a reminder that God didn't go away. The people did. And that he's still there in spite of their wandering. And that alternates through this chapter and uh, and others, the fickleness of, of man and the destruction that they're going to experience. And at the same time that God is still present, he's still God. And there, it, he drops the word in here, that remnant, the remnant of his people. And that's a theme throughout the Old Testament. It's a theme also in Revelation. We've mentioned this many times that you have a difficult time understanding Revelation if we haven't spent some time understanding the Old Testament. Is that God is still has some people who are faithful to him. And it's worth noting those faithful people go through this also. He wants to be available to everyone going through it, but some of them won't have it. Um, but for those who will accept him and hold on to him, he's with them in a different way than those who have abandoned him. Uh, case in point, uh, Daniel and his three friends in the early part of the book of Daniel are people who are taken into captivity. You know, they're not left in in his, in it in Judah. They are actually taken into captivity, and they were, they were loyal to God. And I'm sure there were many other people who were loyal to God as a remnant, um, but they had to go through some pretty rough experiences. Yeah, you were talking about the, the vivid imagery there of, uh, well, verses 7 and 8, and I, I guess I don't need to get into the details too much, but it's, it, it kind of has the uh, the imagery of a party where people have been partying a little too hard. And uh, if you've ever been at a party where somebody has just drunken to the point of making themselves sick, and if you have a whole whole room of people doing that, it's disgusting. And uh, that's kind of what's what's happening here. And it, it, it kind of moves on there where it's like God is saying, these these are the priests that are doing this. They're 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 getting themselves drunk on all this all this stuff. Not, not you know, maybe not literal drunkenness. I'm sure that happened, too. But they're getting themselves drunk on this pride of all this other garbage. And and what's spewing out of them is just, is is just filth. It's. You know, it's like vomit. But then, you know, it goes into who who's the who are these drunk priests and prophets going to teach? Are they going to are they going to teach babies? Are they going to teach young children? It's not likely that they're going to be able to teach anybody anything because they don't have anything good to say. And then uh, verse verse 10 here, I think is a really, really great line because because it speaks so much to how you need to understand what God is saying. We cannot take a simple single line of text out of the Bible and develop a theology around it. It says precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Yeah, and I don't think it's, it would be wrong to assume that this means cherry picking your texts. Right. I think what this means is 
we're, we're looking at the span of things and saying, well, what does God say here? What does God say here? How do we build a picture? Maybe you've heard the, the analogy of the blind, uh, the blind monks and the elephant. You know, one, <laughs> I love that story. One, if you haven't heard it, it's a short version is one finds the, 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 they're introduced to an elephant. They're all blind. One finds the trunk and says, I know what an elephant is. It's like a giant snake. One finds a leg and says, well, I know what an elephant is. It's like a tree. One finds the side and says, no, no, no. An elephant is like a wall. And the other finds the tail and says, no, no, no. An elephant is like a rope. Well, you don't actually have a picture of the elephant until you put all those things together. They are all true, but they're not in their truest form until you see the whole thing together. And I think that that is how we need to study scripture, because we may find a trunk in Isaiah, and we're like, whoa, God is like this. And then we find another piece in in uh, uh, in Ezekiel, and we say, oh, God's like this. And we find another piece in the book of John, and we say, no, 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 God is like this. And in Genesis, another, and they, they don't make sense until we put them all together to get a more comprehensive view. And I think that, that Matt's right. This is an invitation to say, hey, put this together to get a full picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, study, but don't like you say. Don't cherry pick. Don't look for the. Don't look for texts that just support your view. Look at all of them. Put them together. Weigh them. You know, put I don't know. Put them on a scale, so to speak. But uh, if you really want a good picture of God, if you really want a good picture of what He wants out of you, you got you got to look at it all and and let the pieces fit together and and don't try to force them. Yeah, but uh, but you can build you can build a picture by 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 going through all of it and i've found that going through it chronologically has really been a help because you're able to kind of build up okay they understood it kind of this way at this time and then these people you know and and, and as it grows you get this grander picture so the follow-up of how this fits together is when these lines when these words repeat down in verse 13 it says but the word of the lord was to them Precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and caught, right? So when you build that complete, broader understanding of God and his will and his word, then your your arguments for doing things this way or that way or your push to be corrupt or your sinful leanings are sort of displayed for what they actually are. That's the way I read that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The problem is, and Isaiah moves forward, is that they haven't done that. They've made their deals in verse 15. We have made a covenant with death. And still we've made an agreement that it won't come to us. And then... It says, for we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. This is a very old problem, and this is also a very contemporary problem. Is that us, I mean all humans, sometimes will turn to things that are simply not true because they are more comforting. And that just doesn't do it. Those are transitory things. They're not, they're not, they don't last. Uh, There's this, I mean, this is, in case we're in doubt that this is what's talking about, Isaiah chapter 30 talks about this. Isaiah chapter 31 talks about this. 
this is this is a theme. This is not just a passing verse. It is, in fact, you know, uh, line upon line, here a little, there a little. We're looking. Is that is that what Isaiah really means? And like a teacher, he's saying, all right, there's going to be an exam on this date. Okay, in case you forgot, there's going to be an exam. Hey, everybody, coming up, there's going to be a test. Isaiah keeps putting this out. In the midst of it, we get some pretty interesting little gems dropped. Verse 16, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. And those who lean on that, it's like, wow, that's that's a totally different thing than the lies that they're believing in. These priests who are prophesying all kinds of uh, falsehood. And this verse is quoted by Peter in Acts 4.11. He's saying, hey, this was, you guys, this, this points forward to Jesus. And Peter sees this in retrospect and says, hey, you leaders of Israel, you missed it. Jesus was here. You rejected him. And but he is the cornerstone. There's songs written about that. Karen, I'm sure could pick out half a dozen that have that in there. There were a couple of things there in there that interested me because like there in verse 16, you're talking about whoever believes will not act hastily. You know, I, I mean, I think when we're talking about, we're talking, you know, our discussion here is kind of turned to um, learning, learning what God wants and learning um, things about his character. We, we don't want to, we don't want to jump on anything too quick. We want to listen and allow that information to to come in and let it build up in us and slowly be able to to develop that picture develop that you know what is our lifestyle going to be like what is our what are our beliefs going to be how are we going to react to the world and then it's not just going to be you know jumping on whatever bandwagon uh happens to happens to uh catch our eye at the time now it it goes it 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 moves on though here because God is basically saying there is going to be uh, this I don't know if you want to use the word I I always hate using the word punishment in these things but there is going to be a corrective act taken here and verse twenty one calls it God's unusual act because. Uh, Bad things are going to happen to his people, and he's going to he's going to let it happen. He's shown over and over again the way that he protects and the way that he, you know, we, 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 we've talked a lot about how he he is the sustainer. He's the protector. He is he, he he's the he, he's the salvation. And now it's being what is going to happen is being talked to as an unusual act because this is God. This is going to be God pulling back pulling back that protection a little bit and letting letting the bad consequences uh rush in and uh, this is um by calling it his unusual act it it's it's sort of demonstrating at least to me that this is not really the way god wants things to happen this is not what he wants this is but it's what's going to be it's going to be necessary it's sort of like Allowing to happen what should have happened, or at least a little piece of it, what should have happened back with Adam and Eve when they were told, 
do not eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or you will die. And the, the natural course of action should have been as soon as as soon as they swallowed a pe- that piece of fruit, they should have just, you know, fallen over dead. But they didn't because God was in his grace uh, granting them that uh, protection from that um, because it's not the way he wanted to see things happen for them. So here, when he's going to allow the Assyrians to come in and take Israel and then later going to let Babylon come in and take Judah, he's acting in a way that we haven't really seen him act. And it's interesting that we call it the unusual act because so many people now, I mean, some of the popular notion is that this is what God would want to do all along. Like God is just sitting there waiting, waiting to be able to strike you down, looking for reasons to smite you, for reasons to punish you. Uh, if you don't toe the line, and that has just never really been the case at all, and so this is his unusual act. Hey, can we go backwards for just a second? And if absolutely, flip this later and put it back where it actually belongs. That's fine. It just took me a minute to find this. So, what you were saying about, um, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Mm -hmm. I also like the follow-up verse to that, 17. It refers back to a thing that we've read a couple of times about Mm, uh, using a a plumb line to judge, Mm -hmm. right? So I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plummet, right? So these are all kind of building references. And speaking of precept upon precept here a little and there a little, there's one of my favorite passages that talks about building on the cornerstone is Paul. And he uses, again, the building reference. He doesn't use the plumb line. We've seen that over and over. We saw it in Isaiah. I think it was referenced in, or we saw it in um, Amos. And uh, it's been referenced again here in the last couple of weeks. We've come across it again. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about himself as he's going around, starting in verse 9. It says, we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. Someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care, right? So Paul's a preacher. He's going around and introducing people to the foundation, to that cornerstone, says, no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using, listen to this list, gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. Did you hear that list? Like that is a wide variety of quality of building. Mm -hmm. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed by fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work, right? This is the lifelong process of precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little, bringing yourself, your character, your life into compliance with what God's trying to do in yourself and in the bigger world around you. Um, Let's see. So in verse 14, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved because he built on the foundation, right? 
Don't mm-hmm. you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst, right? We're building the earthly manifestation of God's temple. We're using, we will be judged by the plumb line. We're building on the foundation that is Christ, the cornerstone. Anyway, I really like that passage. It kind of built, brings all of the uh, building illustrations together in my mind. And it and that that I that verse that you read that you noticed about whoever believes will not act hastily that really stood out to me also because I've been involved in building a number of houses over the years of my lifetime and it is not a rapid process mm-hmm. like it's a it's a check and double check what do they say measure twice cut once yeah or measure <laughs> maybe measure three times and cut four times and then swear some like I don't know how that's supposed to work but it's a <laughs> process to get it right. Because I've cut it know. I've cut it twice and it's still too short. Yeah, what's going on? This is ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to interject that. That was yeah. like a a building sort of parable that came to mind that I've always really liked. That's one of my favorite passages. Mm-hmm. No, that yeah, it, it is good. And yeah, you can't you can't rush those processes at all. I mean, that's my that's my livelihood. Yeah, and people want you to, you know, they kind of get upset if things go if they 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 feel like they're going too slowly and it, Usually it's like, okay, but you work at an office, we're working here, and we know how this needs to go. Certain things happen to happen before other things can happen. And, you know, you have to you have to take your time. Otherwise, it just causes problems down the road. And you you cannot go too fast when you do it, you know. So, yeah, that's uh, that is a, a very it's a very apt analogy. Yeah. So we were talking I was talking there about God's unusual act. and in verse 21 you know and then verse 22 don't be mockers it's like we've god has told you god has told you this is going to happen and it is going to happen and you have been relying on god's whether people knew it or not and whether we know it or not we rely so much on god's mercies to protect us all the time and we have we get this we get this complacency which we'll talk about when we get towards the end of our time today but this complacency of just thinking that everything's going to be fine and god is saying no everything's not going to be fine and uh this is this is going to seem strange this will seem strange for god to allow this to happen so in verse 22 it says don't be mockers because this is going to happen. It says it's going to be a destruction upon the whole earth. So I think we're not just talking about uh, uh, the, the the area there of uh, the promised land. Now we're talking maybe down into the future where uh, we're talking some end time stuff where there will be this. This 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 will sort of be repeated. I mean, what we're seeing here is a, is a smaller picture of what will happen eventually in the end when God starts to pull his protection away and let the consequences come in as they will. And uh, people are going to be going, well, where's God? And then some of those of us who have been paying attention, we're like, oh, he's still there. Believe me, he's still there. And he's been warning us about this for a very, very long time. Yeah. I couldn't believe how many, I mean, if I had a dollar for every time as I was reading this week's chapters, and this seems to be a theme with Isaiah, thinking, am I reading about ancient Israel? Am I reading present day stuff? Yeah. Yeah, this was a very dense reading this week, especially, I mean, chapter 28 just had so much going on into it. Along those things about, you know, last day events, there, um, 
these are echoed later when we get into 29. There's some, there's more revelation. But here in, uh, before we leave 28, we're 28, 24. Um, and Isaiah says this, does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow his ground? It's a metaphorical question, but what he's saying is there is a God will do what he's doing and then it will be done. Mm-hmm. It's, he's not going to do this in reaching out to you in this case forever. There will be a time when the plowing part is is done and then comes phase two. And, and then for them, in this case, it is destruction. He mentions it down below. He, he goes on down. Okay, okay, so when it's time for the harvest, the threshing, d- does one crush grain forever? Does he thresh it forever? Basically, no. There's going to be a point where it's like, all right, next next phase, next chapter. You can't you can't prepare forever. At some point, something has to happen, and and you got to get to the next stage. Yeah. And that's what's happening here. And God's like saying, I, I've, I've been preparing, I've been preparing, and I've been preparing, and uh, it's going to move on. We're going to go to the next thing. So as we get into chapter 29, then, we see that, we see definitely that Judah is not being left out of this. We've talked about this before in previous episodes. Interestingly, a, a, new, a new word is used for Jerusalem here. Woe to Ariel. Now, I think this is... This this name doesn't get used a whole lot. Yeah, that but. surprised me. I had to go read my little note down at the bottom of the page to figure out what city we, they were talking about. Mm-hmm. I think Isaiah is about the only person who uses it. I looked it up in the concordance. It's he's it's only used one other time that I could see in Ezra, and then it's not even talking about the city. It's talking about a, a person. But um, the word means Lion of God, and they are talking about Jerusalem. But uh, I just thought, yeah, I thought it was an interesting little um, why. I'm not sure why he used that. Maybe it's just supposed to be a descriptive term more than anything, where they're supposed to be the lion of God. And maybe it's sort of used ironically here, where, you know, you're sup- this is kind of what you're supposed to be, but they haven't really been demonstrating that too much lately. You know, they're told that there's going to be some time that's going to pass, is add year to year, let feasts come around. So there's some time will pass, but. Ariel or Jerusalem will experience some heaviness and sorrow. And um, God is going to share in that heaviness and sorrow. He's not he's not happy about what's going to happen to Jerusalem. He's like we said, he's the he would much rather be the sustainer and protector, but he's he's going to have to let some things happen that he's not going to be thrilled with. And. Jerusalem is going to be brought down low. He describes them as you, you will speak out of the ground. And I think there might be a little double meaning there because, well, you know, you think about being in the ground. Well, you're <laughs> if you're in the ground, you're you're, uh, you're you're not exactly living a healthy life. Like you're not exactly living. So so Jerusalem is going to experience destruction. Yeah, and uh, verses five and six in an instant. Suddenly, with thunder, earthquake, noise, whirlwind, and tempest, a flame of devouring fire, fire. These are, I think, again, we say that as we're reading these books of prophecy, there are so many places, times, and ways that they can be applied uh, to Israel, to Judah, to 
the eventual destruction of Jerusalem again. Uh, 70 AD, it happens another time. Uh, Jerusalem and Israel is spoken of metaphorically of God's people and remnant. So we've got that going on. And this idea that the, the judgment will come instantly, suddenly, you'll be visited by the Lord of hosts. You could just flip to Revelation chapter 18, and the parallels here are very parallel. It would be difficult to, to think that John was unaware of all of these prophecies going on in Isaiah. So that applies to some future things. And the idea is, I think, much like Noah preached for 120 years, and then and then it says, and then suddenly came destruction. It's like, well, yes, the destruction came suddenly, but it wasn't a surprise if you've been told about it for 120 years. <laughs> it reminds me of a, of, a, of a movie from the 80s called Fletch. And it's Chevy Chase, and he's he's undercover. He's an undercover reporter, and he's he's at he finds himself at a funeral. Somebody he doesn't know, but he's like, oh yes, the end was very sudden. And somebody goes, he was dying for years. And he says, well yes, but the, the the very very end, it was it was sudden, right? <laughs> and that's and 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 the thing is, is that I think God is in His mercy saying this. I'm going to give you time to turn this around. Some do, some don't. But the end will come. It, this will happen, and you really need to get this together because the end is coming. And once the very end happens, it's inescapable. Yeah. In those verses that you were just talking about, five through eight, I was I was taking some out of that too, where it's like, yeah, Jerusalem is going to be brought down, but also it seemed like the enemies of Jerusalem are going to be brought down. This whole region, this whole region is just getting a, a little corrective action happening here where there's just been so much pride and violence and, and and bad behavior. And it's just all all the toys are getting taken away. You know, it's it's I think this is an, an important principle in understanding and looking at prophecy is very often we want to know what's going to happen so we can prepare just for that one thing. Mm. You know, think about it as, a, as an exam. It's like, well, now, is this question going to be on the test? Is this date going to be on the test? And really, if we know the material, that's what really matters, right, in, in the example of a test. And the, the details will shake themselves out. Is that When it comes to these forward-looking statements, let's admit it, they're, some of those are pretty vague. I mean, it's like destruction will happen. There will be these... But it isn't um, in this day, in this hour, in this person, this person will show up. There are a few of those prophecies, but very few. I think the core of these is God calling people to repentance. And when should repentance happen? All the time. That's an open invitation to say, turn around now. Okay, you missed it, so turn around now. All right, well, you didn't do it, you know, five minutes ago, so turn around now. That that is that repentance and turning is always appropriate. You know, I had somebody we were talking about future and how long will things take and, you know, all these other things. And this individual said, look, no one has waited more than a lifetime. Right. Mm. Nobody. And so this idea of and the human nature says, well, what I'll do is I'll turn around right before we go off the cliff. Mm -hmm. As if it's better to head towards destruction than to turn around sooner, right? 
And so I think the point is, is God is always saying throughout all of these things is that repentance is always in style. At any point, you can and should turn and repent because he's warning them there will be a point at which your wheels leave the road. And at that point, there's no turning back. That's that is a too late point. And the point is, is that that's not an arbitrary thing that God drops on them like surprise. Now you can't make any corrections. He's warning us all the time. And if you can hear this, if you can understand what God is saying to you, then now's the time. You know, as they're preaching in the New Testament, like now's the time. Today's the day of repentance. And the idea of giving lip service to this, the idea of like, yeah, 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 yeah. God calls it out right here in Isaiah 29, 13. And the Lord said, because this people draw near me with their mouth and mm -hmm. honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. And then he goes on down to say, hey, this is there's some things going on. It's like you you need to focus on me. You've got to have your heart on me. Not what other people say about me, but what I say about me. That's what really matters. There's <clears throat> some cool stuff in there. There's some allusions to the Daniel and other prophecies. Basically, they, they get things and they're told, hey, read this. And says, I can't read it. It's sealed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then God says, well, OK, fine. I'll read it to you here. Yeah, there was a verse there. It talks about blind yourselves and be blind. This is kind of like this showing that these people have brought all these things upon themselves. You know, if you if you if you're going to if you're going to poke your own eyes out, well then yeah, you're going to be blind. If you're going to just continually if you're going to choose not to see or like you say like you know the book, the, the book is handed to you. Oh, I can't read it. It's sealed. If you're going to choose not to break the seal, then it talks about God pouring out on them the spirit of deep sleep. It's like, well, if you're just going to insist upon not paying attention, if you're going to insist upon just going your own way, because you know, and I, you see this a lot of times, you can tell somebody, somebody knows, they know that they're not doing what's right. They know it, and you know they know it, but they choose not to... They choose not to find out what the right way is. Yep. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. Well, if you're going to poke your eyes out, then, yeah, you're going to be blind. Uh, that passage that you were just talking about there reminded me of what we read in 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 uh, Hosea, where it's talking about, you know, he, it's using marital unfaithfulness as an example of human unfaithfulness to God. And it's like and and they and it says repeatedly, like, I gave you all these things. I gave you all these things. And then you were like, hey, look, it's mine. And you went and worshiped it instead of me. And you went and gave it away to other people as if you owned it. It's it's just this whole like, no, you're you're missing the point. Come back to me. I am where you got all of those things. You can't generate that yourself. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's been God, kind of God's point the whole time. It's just like, turn around, come this way. Or like, you know, Eric, the analogies Eric has been giving. You miss the exit, turn around. You miss yeah. But your GPS says, make a U-turn. You're like, I don't want to make a U-turn. <laughs> make a U-turn. I don't want to make a U-turn, you know? And it's usually because maybe you've decided, I want to go over to this place that I, I, I know I told the GPS where I want to go, but I want to make this detour. But, uh, you, you know, know what they say? <laughs> what? They say. There is a way that seems right to a man, 
Ah, perfect. <laughs> the end of that way is destruction. That's what they say. I've heard that. Perfect. <laughs> it reminds me of something I saw you share this week about how much further a year men will will drive because they don't ask for directions. <laughs> It was, it was like some crazy number. I don't know if it's true or not, but I did. It's just funny. But it, but it was funny. It was funny. But you know, it, it, it's true though. You know, you know, you want to go somewhere, but you know, we're human beings. We don't know how to get there. Not not without finding directions. Not with asking and then following those directions. You know, and you have to. You if, if you you've got to be able to listen. You've got to be able to follow those directions. We get into, uh, let's see, I think it's verse 17 here. It says that it's not going to be long before things are going to change drastically. It talks about Lebanon becoming a field. Well, Lebanon has been known for uh, cedar forests up to this point, and a field becomes a forest. So basically, things are going to change so much that they're going to be on their ear. And and uh, you won't hardly recognize them. It talks about how the deaf are going to hear and the blind are going to see. Um I was kind of curious if that was literal, if that was figurative, or both. The humble are going to increase in joy. The poor are going to rejoice in the Holy Holy One of Israel. Ultimately, the children of Abraham will return to God and honor him. That was kind of the end of Isaiah 29. Where so, so all these corrective measures that God is putting in place is to turn everything around. If you're not going to turn yourselves around, then I am going to grab you by the ears <laughs> and turn you. And and these children, they will return to God and honor him. Now, Isaiah talks about feudal confidence in Egypt. And so they're being rebuked against looking to Egypt for help rather than turning to God. And like Eric pointed out earlier, that this is this was the Egypt was their captors at one point. Yeah. Um, and it's it is baffling. It's kind of bizarre to think of turning to to the, your oppressors like they're going to help you. Now, this is several generations later. I mean, here in the United States, we've considered uh, Great Britain to be our ally for quite a while. But I think it would it would still it would still fly in the face of things if we were to depend on Great Britain for our successes, if we were to look to them to be the ones who hold us up, you know? Yeah, I kind of took that as symbolic. <clears throat> I yes. It, it might have been literal, I don't know. But I took it as symbolic of like, why would you look to the very thing that held you captive for mm-hmm. your salvation, for your safety, for your day-to-day needs? That is so counterintuitive. And yet here we are kind of stuck down in the trenches of life, looking around for looking around for some kind of security and like a predictable future that we can rely on. So we can we just want to get on with life. We don't want to be on the front lines. We don't want to be having to like turn every decision over to God. It's more comfortable to look to things we can see, look to governments we can measure and be like, okay, maybe this one will work. I think there was some literal aspect to this too. Mm-hmm. As I was reading in some of the notes here, and how Egypt wasn't even able to thwart Assyria completely. It seemed like maybe they were able to hold them off because I don't remember ever hearing about Egypt being carried off the way that yeah. that some of these other countries were. I mean, Egypt kind of remained a superpower for quite a while. You know, if you think about it, um, the plagues in Egypt, you know, Egypt was a superpower. And then here comes the plagues of God, right? 
plagues of God that the nation, you know, in some of the early plagues, the uh, the local magicians were able to duplicate and the plagues got more and more intense and more and more devastating until it was clear to everyone that God was at work. And so that, you know, that's who later, and yes, hundreds of years later, Israel's, you know, leaning towards, well, maybe we could, maybe, I mean, they have a lot of chariots, maybe they could keep us safe. Mm-hmm. But I mean, look at what's, look at what, I mean, we haven't gotten there yet, but if you read ahead to Revelation, you see this again, like the plagues of God are unleashed on the world until everyone has to acknowledge that God is God and that humans can't outthink, outperform, out all of those things. So some of the earlier things that we've been talking about, this is not a this is not a national whoops, well, we made one mistake kind of a thing. This is Skipping ahead, this is in Isaiah 30, verse 9. For they are a rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, that is the prophets, do not see. And to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more of the Holy One of Israel. I tell you, what we're doing today is we don't like what's happening on one channel. We just switch to another channel that tells us what we want to hear. Straight up. Um, And and today's technology has made that even easier. But underlying this is God saying there is something that is truth. There is something that is not truth. Um, Be aware of your own behavior in telling yourself what you want to hear. You know, we have a fancy name for it these days, an echo chamber of just we surround ourselves with people that say the same things that we want to say uh, or what we want to believe. And God is saying, nope. I mean, to all these other metaphors, there's a plumb line. And that is what that is, regardless of what you think. Yeah. And isn't it interesting, have either of you guys noticed that even within the modern church, even with people who are genuinely seeking to know God and serve God in their day-to-day life, how easy it is to get distracted by that? Like we get caught up in these smaller issues. It's like, oh, well, this person says what I want to hear. And so uh, rather than be discerning and objective about it, I'm just going to kind of follow along because that feels better. Confirmation bias and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like that. Like, amen. You know, like, preach, preach. You know, right. It's like, mm-hmm. careful, careful. <laughs> there are so many nuances going on. Just be careful. And that's to, back to what Isaiah said earlier build slowly, like, do things slowly. Be careful. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, we're talking here. I mean, of course, the analogy that comes to my mind right away is left and right. You know, when you put it into the context of like politics you know you have your your left and your right and then there's the the line that's actually correct you know um and we'll Which i'm not sure if any of us actually know where that is or how to implement that in real life <laughs> mm-hmm. well you know i mean <laughs> when it comes to politics the plumb line i don't think is is exactly straight but um no. but when because it comes to god-based yeah correct exactly there's been another another meme floating around care. And I think Karen, you, you actually shared this one. It says something along the lines of, 
if something can be destroyed by the truth, then it does then it deserves to be destroyed by the truth. Right. But that is not it. But that, right, and I thought this when I posted, I'm like, that is, that is true. And yet, like here we are, same as ancient Israel, wanting an immediate truth, a convenient truth, something we can get our teeth in right now. Like we don't have the patience to work through it and stay open-minded and wait for all the evidence and keep our discernment on point. Like we want the answer now. Like give us Egypt and all its chariots. That's at least something we can point at and put our hands on and we can see the chariots around us and maybe they're hemming us in, but maybe they're keeping the bad guys out. Either way, we feel safe and it's fine, right? Mm -hmm. It just is tricky. Yeah, I think it's important that we keep in mind here that God is calling his people back to him in a spiritual function. Now, in, in, in what was supposed to be a theocracy, uh, which, by the way, worked very poorly because it was mostly done wrong. And the results of that were pretty tragic. Uh, very few times were, did that go really well. Is that God is calling us to spiritual truth he is calling us to a repentant heart you know he he says back here in 29 you know you honor me with your lips while your hearts are far from me is is that we seek um a lot of these things we want to apply them most most of these days politically we we want to we want to put on our political glasses and then we see everything else including our religion through that i don't think god's talking about that He's talking about a different kingdom entirely. You know, there were the two factions, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they hated each other. They were so far opposite ends politically and religiously, hated each other. So which one was right? Well, it turns out neither. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They 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 worked together to to kill Jesus because he wasn't either one of those things. And then as we read these things, and as we're reading Isaiah, and as we're reading on I think it's important that we that we put on our our we, we set our GPS to, to Matt's analogy. We set our GPS on God first. We don't set it on a political party first or on a social movement first or on anything else other than God. We set our GPS to him first and then we sort out these other things. Because what happens is we we settle on, as Karen said, something else far inferior that gives us peace of mind, that gives us a tribe, that gives us a whatever. And then whatever that happens to be, if it isn't God, it's wrong. That's the wrong answer. Um, and how that applies in a day-to-day, moment-by-moment thing, I don't know. But um, I, I think it's important that we... We we look at the, the the fact that God is calling His people back from the judges' ages. Like, look, it's me. You're not supposed to be even getting a king. No, no, no. We want a king. We want a king. We want to be like everybody else. Okay, so they get a king. It doesn't work well. It's supposed to be, you know, with God at the center. That doesn't work well. Well, okay, we'll send you prophets under kingdoms. <clears throat> and no, we don't even want those prophets to tell us what we want to do. What we want to do. And we have this struggle of people wanting to do their own thing from way back when. And it exists 
today. But through all that, God says, hey, look, I want to be there for you. I want to be there for you. I want to help you find what it is I want you to find. And there's some other pretty awesome stuff in Isaiah 30 towards that end. Yeah, it talks about God being a God of justice because it kind of for shortly shifts away from the judgment side of it, if you will, is from the uh, from the from the, the negative consequence side of the reveal. But God will be a God of justice. He will answer the sound of your cry. Uh, verse 21 is is really awesome. When we talk about GPS, it says you will hear a voice behind you and it will say, this is the way walk in it. Yeah. If you'll listen, if you will listen, you'll get the directions. If you, as as Eric said, if you set your GPS on God and you listen to it, you will you will find God. You know, and if it says you, if you miss the turn and it says to make a U-turn, make the U-turn. Yes. You know, if it tells you to turn right, turn right. It tells you to turn left, turn left. But and, put, and, and in order to do that, you have to be able to recognize God's voice in all the noise. Mm-hmm. Because think about the devil, there is so much noise out there. He will pick up, he, the devil will put a voice out there that is so close to what you want to hear, it could be your own. Yeah. And you'll be like, and it's for you to be able to pick God's voice and follow it and set aside your own smaller goals is like, mm, there you go. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talking about these things, if you do all these things, you will defile your idols. I've talked about maybe this a little bit before. I don't know if it's because I'm getting older. I don't know if it's because things of the world are just becoming less interesting to me. But so many things of the world that were once uh, distractions, they become more and more where I just look at them. I go, yuck. I don't, I I just don't even like that anymore. I don't, uh, I don't. I I can't follow that anymore. And and um, you start to downplay it, and even maybe badmouth those things. And that's kind of what I think what's happening here. It's like if you followed God and you've really been focusing on God, and you know you're seeing that He will He will answer your cries. Uh, then those things, those idols, they'll become disgusting to you, and you won't want them anymore. Yep, really good point. That if we and sometimes people, until you, until one gets to that point, it's the idea of how could you give up insert thing, mm-hmm. right? But the the deal is, and I can say this from experience, the the more time I've spent with God, um, and I have not gained victory over everything. Okay, not a flawless human. Let's just put that out there. But the more time I've spent with God, it's really amazing. Is that at some point, I will look at the thing that used to tempt me, and it's like. Not only do I, it's not a struggle to give it up. It's, I don't even want it. It's yeah. like, ooh, yuck. Okay, I've got a boy who, who he's young and he has no uh, hesitation to pick something up off the ground and eat it. Okay. <laughs> 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 if he's dropped that. Um, and let's just say I'm, I'm past that, right? It just doesn't occur to me to, if I was out on, you know, camping and something fell in the dirt, it just doesn't occur to me to pick it up and eat it. <laughs> Um, it's not, a, I don't, I don't struggle with like, oh, I have to resist the urge to like, no, not at all. And I think that over time, when the more we are in sync with God, the less we even want those things that are harmful to us. Mm-hmm. And as, as Matt said, you know, idols, well, that for Israel was literal 
carved wooden idols, but there was a lot that went with that. There was food, there was partying, there was um, there was uh, sexual promiscuity. There was a lot going on with this stuff. It wasn't just a, oh, I have a little idol that sits on the mantelpiece. You know, it, there was a whole package of stuff that came with this. And that God said, no, turn around, turn around, turn around, turn around. Um, and you won't even want this stuff when you're in sync with me. How does that go? Turn your eyes upon Jesus? Yeah. Full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Mm-hmm. That's how that song goes. Mm-hmm. So through all of this, then, it's also uh, the end of chapter 30 that judgment on Assyria will happen as well. So Assyria is kind of kind of be the arm that comes in and gives the smackdown, but yet there's going to be judgment on them too, which is such, that is such an interesting thing to think that God is going to use this country to do this corrective act, but then yet God is still going to, he's going to have judgment on them as well for the things that they're going to do to God's people. It's just an, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing way to look at the world or look what look, look at things. So it's I, I, this is we won't uh, go through this whole thing here right now, but it's worth reading if, if for, for our listeners, Isaiah 30 verses 29 through the end in 33. And what this appears to me to be, um, I don't wonder if you saw this too, Karen, is this like a musical? It's like a, it's, it's, there's a beat to it. There's a beat to this, and it even intimates this, the sound of uh, tambourines and lyres. There's two things happening during this song. There is destruction and mayhem and people getting justice deserved. At the same time, it starts off, you will have a song in the night when a holy feast is kept and gladness of heart as one once. So some are feeling this song is like, excellent. This is wonderful and beautiful. I just want to hear this and sing it. At the same time, that same song is full of a descending blow and furious anger and devouring fire. They're happening at the same time. Is that some people are getting delivered while others are getting destroyed. And it's an incredible scene that just, again, it echoes Revelation. You know, all these things that are happening, the fire and hailstones and all these things, there's a deliverance that's happening at the same time there's destruction. And God is saying, hey, you get to pick which side you're on right now. Yeah, that that is interesting. The salvation is happening at the same time as destruction. And, well, I mean, it makes sense, though, because that destruction is what God has always wanted to save us from. Yep. So, um, Eric, you asked if I had noticed that. Um, so I, I use a parallel Bible, and it's got four versions next to each other. There's two translations and two paraphrases. And one is the New King James. And the New King James, the, the physical layout of the words of the chapters is in cadence, right? Yeah. Each line is a clause of a sentence. It ends in a, in a comma, a semicolon, a period, an exclamation point, whatever. But... The NIV and the paraphrases aren't like that. Parts of it are in paragraph format and parts of it lapse into cadence. So I usually, the, the two that I focus on when I'm reading is New King James and NIV. And then if, I, if I'm looking for a little bit of extra fluff, like, hey, what did that mean? 
like, what did that mean? I'm trying to get my teeth into something, then I'll dip into the paraphrases. But it was, I thought it was very interesting. This is what I noticed. The New King James layout didn't change when those verses started, but the NIV version did change. It was in paragraph format until those words started. And so whoever laid out the NIV separated this out as something to be spoken or sung in cadence, as opposed to, hey, we're just conveying information in prose format. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And it rolls right into 31, which is mm -hmm. seems like an echo of things we've heard before. <laughs> Absolutely. Woe to those who go down to Egypt, <laughs> but do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. Yep. Um, you know, as I'm reading, as I was reading this, it just, it had me, it had me thinking of modern times, you know, how, how, how much trust are you putting on, say, the government? How much trust are you putting on, say, your political party? How much trust are you putting on your pastor? Uh, your pa well, sure, your pastor, Uncle Joe's opinion at the Thanksgiving dinner table, social media, those echo chambers. These are people, these are human beings, and they have opinions, and we're all we all uh, we all are entitled to opinions. <laughs> but there's uh, there's a phrase, and I won't go into all of it, but you know, there's two things that everybody has. One of them is opinions. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, the other uh, one's belly buttons. <laughs> and uh, so um. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I I don't know. Listening too much to each other's opinions, it's just, it's like that, that, that's 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 not where you, that's not where you need to go to get your 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 advice. That's not that's just not it. Don't don't be counting on human beings to to give you these life lessons that are so important for your eternity. Yeah. Um, to use the words that we used over the last few weeks, don't turn from the creator to the created and expect that you will find what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. That you know, is, yes. Yeah, because it goes on. It says the Egyptians are men and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. They are not the be-all, end-all. Some people have good opinions to listen to. But it's always, you know, we were talking about here a little, there a little. Of course, that's talking primarily about scripture. But I think it's also talking, you can also apply that to opinions and all these all these things. Even the some of the wisest, you've got to temper them with both sides and find the and find the truth. But um, but don't don't rely don't rely on human beings. Don't rely on human beings for for your eternity because we're we're all just opinions with or we're all just uh people with opinions and and only god only god has the truth makes this analogy of god is a lion that roars over his prey now if you've ever been able to hear a lion roar in person um now around here we don't have a whole lot of opportunity you know you can go down to the zoo go down to the denver zoo and, and they have a really great lion exhibit and but man when one of those lions lets out with one of those roars it is an ominous sometimes terrifying sound if you thought that thing was coming for you oh man that would be that would be absolutely terrifying and so this is how god is going to come down to fight for mount zion 
So these these enemies, these enemies of of uh, God's people, they've got this lion. They got this lion coming down on them. They're in for it. They're in for it. Yeah, they are in for it. And then it says the. Uh, oh, let me see here. I'm getting kind of ahead of myself. I'm just so. It says uh, if you returned, or you know, it, it's another invitation. To return to God, verse 6 in uh, chapter 31, verse 6 says, uh, return to him against who the children of Israel have deeply revolted. Um, we talked about how they've, how they've turned away. They've turned away. They've turned away. And like, no, return to God. The people, the children of Israel have revolted, but return to God. And, and when you do this, when this happens, then Assyria will fall by a sword, not of man. So not only are we not going to depend on on uh, these Egyptians, you know, I, I think that analogy is carrying carrying through here that that if we return to God, then all of these influences, all of these things that are bringing bringing the bad things on us, they'll be taken out by God. They're not going to be taken out by these human means. Doesn't matter how how great. The opinions are, and I, you know, again, it's got me thinking of modern day with all the the social issues out there right now, and people's opinions of of what's good, what's right and wrong. And if you're studying scripture and you're and you're you're allowing it to speak to you, you're seeing that those opinions are not those are not what's in line with scripture, and the, those opinions are not going to be what's going to bring peace on on the land those opinions are not what is going to bring good things it's not going to bring wholesome you know whatever however however you want to put that um because we can see that a lot of these especially these social opinions that are out there right now um from a biblical perspective they're really taught they're kind of uh, tearing things down and so we have to rely on god to be the one to take out the enemy if you will. Well, and to be fair, the earth is complex. We have oh, yeah. legitimate, complex, horrible problems to solve, and somebody needs to be thinking of solutions. Mm-hmm. So n- none of this is to say if you have a social opinion, you're wrong, go back to God. Like that's I don't think oh, that's yeah. what anybody here is saying. Like no. we need to come up with some solutions, but make sure you're looking high. Because that yes. is where you're going to find the truth. Because the, yes. the smaller your view is, the, the harder it's going to be to to solve those things like we have we have legitimately horrible things going on on planet earth and we need help yes i'm glad you mentioned that huh i'm glad you mentioned that because that's that's really really important is that that uh, this is to get just let's let's zoom back a little bit hezekiah when it says in um verse eight here and the assyrian shall fall by the sword but not of man, right? And a sword, not of man, shall devour him. We're 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 kind of in the middle. We kind of stepped out of Hezekiah's life. We got into the beginning of it, and then we went into a, a bunch of other stuff. But this is all happening during the time of Hezekiah, and he Jerusalem does in fact get surrounded literally by the Assyrian army, and he has to do something. Yep, it's to do something. To Karen's point is is that he's. He's surrounded by, I mean, he has a very practical problem. This isn't just a sit in your room and meditate on God thing. This is, he has, he has issues. His city is surrounded. And he took steps, but he took those steps that he did. He took those in line with God. And 
the we talked about this before, the Syrian army who surrounds him says, oh, no, no, you're doing God wrong. You, you need to do God like we're doing. And Isaiah says to Hezekiah, no, you need to do what you know is right, God's way. And he does it. And he takes up practical steps. They go out and stop up the springs so that they're not providing fresh water to their enemies. They get inside the city. They're doing things. As to Karen's point is, there are things that they had to do to be involved in the world. And we do too. Mm-hmm. Um, but where are we going to set our ultimate hope? Is our ultimate hope, is, is, our, is our, I'm going to take my opinions from, insert the call letters of your favorite news station or commentator, <laughs> or am I going to turn to what God is and then take action? It isn't, this isn't a call to inaction. We are called to action, but I think if I got you right, Karen, you're saying we go to God first, we keep that core, and then we take the best action that, that we feel we're led to. Yeah, and, and, and from that perspective, it gets a lot harder to judge other people's social opinions because our problems are complex. Like yeah. it, it takes complex solutions to even begin to solve some of the garbage we've got going down right going going on right now. Yeah. Well, so I, I don't think I, we begrudge each other our positions no. or thoughts or our no. human theories of what might be best right here and now. But that whole thing, like, is Christ your foundation? Are you building slowly? Are you, you know, here a little and there a little? And if you are you using the correct plumb line, the correct plummet, right? And if you have those things continually in place, then when it is time, when you when something something is going on right in front of you and you're in Hezekiah's position and you have to take action, you you at least are you're ethically armed to do the mm-hmm. best you can in a fallen situation. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you, you say it because I think I was trying to say is our human solutions are generally they're limited, uh, and, and these days they seem to be more and more limited because because the divide between the opinions becomes so much broader, where it hard it, it gets harder for people to be able to go to the middle because then it, it it's like perceived like they're moving towards the other side. But but there again, like you're speaking in dichotomies, and those dichotomies don't actually exist. There aren't actually two sides. There's a spectrum of humanity and there's a spectrum of problems, right? Yeah. And so to see everything through an us and them lens is mm-hmm. is not helpful. Mm-mm. No, I know. Yeah, no, that's what I'm that's that's what I'm trying to get at. You're just you're, you're saying it better than me. <laughs> I don't need to mansplain to Karen. She Karen explains to me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, right, chapter 32. Say, I, just, I just think that that's important. Um, I'm not, we're not yeah. in any way using philosophy to downplay the importance of what's happening in the world around us. Like right. some of this garbage is gross. Yeah. Oh, no. Happen. Yeah. No, see that. I mean, that is kind of it. I mean, yeah. Okay. We're only humans with our opinions, but the point is that we're all humans. We are all still humans. Uh, and, you know, when we're talking about these social issues, uh, we've got to remember that we're all we're all humans, and even though somebody maybe isn't living the way that we think they should live, that doesn't make them any less a child of God. We need to we we need to still look at them as a child of God and be able to be loving towards them, uh, and, and look for God's solution to these things, which is usually not found in our 
in our in our little tiny brains. And that is the kernel. We skipped we skipped one verse that I think really applies to what we're talking about right here. It's Isaiah 29, uh, verse 16. He's God saying, you turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay? Mm, yeah. That the thing that that the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make me, or the thing formed say of him who formed it. He has no understanding. He's saying that's an inversion. When we get to where we're like, well, we, we got here on our own. We're doing just fine things. God says, no, that's an inversion of reality. I made you. I'm the potter. And I might have some insight into, into your life, into the best way to do things. It's the same theme that we're talking about. It's like, go to God. He has the insight because he's the maker. And if the solution we come up with leaves him out, it's going to fail. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think that puts us into a position here that we can really kind of wrap up with uh, Isaiah 32 also, where um, it begins, behold, a king will reign in righteousness. Now, I think this has got to be talking about God himself as the king. Christ, if you will. Yeah. And when this king reigns in righteousness, which is what we've all wanted all along, you know, I mean, every election comes around, we're all hoping, oh, this is the guy that's going to make everything better. Well, no, none of these are going to be the one, right? But there will be a king who reigns in righteousness, which is what we all want. When this happens, things will happen the way they're supposed to happen. You know, how did they put it? Uh, the, the eyes who will see will not be dim or and uh, the ears of those who will hear will listen. I mean, all these things that we all think, oh, this is how it, you know, we all know, you know, get a, a kind of an idea how things ought to be. Well, things will be the way they ought to be because this king will be reigning, because we will all be listening to him, because we will all be living by his by his rules. And it says the foolish and schemers will be recognized for what they are. We won't get fooled by these people. Now, there will come a point where, I mean, we're not going to have foolish, the foolish and schemers in our midst at all, because because we will all be a people following this this one. So that's sort of an analogous uh, little thing there. But those things won't be fooling us anymore is really the point. And so then when we get towards the end of 32, it talks about complacency. And it's basically don't. Don't just remain complacent right now. Don't just think that things are going to work out for you because the things that you're counting on, they're going to go away. They're not going to be there anymore. Uh, it talks about how the uh, the vineyards are going to fail. You, you know, that harvest you've been counting on, um, it's not going to be there. So be diligent now. You know, I guess you could, if you want to keep it in that analogy, you got to work the fields. You got to you got to tend the vines. You've got to um, you 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 have to be diligent in doing uh, the things that will bring about um, the harvest, or however you want to however you want to place that. But don't remain complacent. Don't just live and let things wash over you. Uh, don't just you know go with the flow. You have you have to be. You have to be deliberate in your living, especially when it comes to following God. You have to be deliberate in it. And it kind of finishes off, or at least end, with uh, the people, my people, will dwell in a peaceful habitation. 
And that's what we're all looking forward to. Not just, I mean, this isn't just talking about Israel of the time. I think this is talking about, this is talking about the world and the people. Now. I'm ready. Yeah. I don't even have to finish this blanket I'm crocheting. Like, I'll just leave. <laughs> yeah, I know. I go. know. You know, uh, uh, the more the world goes, and yeah, I'm with you. I'm I would be ready to go right now. It's like I'll just I'll just drop it all. I'm ready to go. Um, but we don't know when. We don't really know when that's going to happen. So we we have to. In the meanwhile, we've got to remain diligent, and we have to remain, you know, seeking out God's will, studying it, uh, considering it, praying about it, meditating on it. That uh, word upon word, line upon line, precept upon precept, you know, you got to keep building up on it, and um, and and not not jumping onto the bandwagons. And I think that is pretty much the message for the week in what we in our reading. So, um, unless you guys have anything else to say, I think we'll wrap it up here. I have nothing to say. <laughs> you. Ever. You never have nothing to say, Karen. <laughs> you can always see behind those eyes, even when you're holding back. <laughs> you are. Karen always has something to say. <laughs> Y'all should be glad I have a filter system. <laughs> All righty. Well, next for next uh, our next episode, I think we will look at chapters. Sorry, we will look at Isaiah chapters. 33 through 36 Isaiah 33 through 36 while you are waiting for that remember you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org with any questions or comments or concerns if you you know just want to know what Karen's got to say send us an email and we'll find out what Karen has to say (laughs) you can find us on Facebook and please be sure to share the podcast with your friends and family and neighbors. We look forward to talking to you again next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>